It's the battle between Taylor Swift and Spotify, and the winner is... And is the fall of Honey Boo Boo the death knell of trash reality TV? Tom, I'll bet you never thought we'd be talking Honey Boo Boo. No, I did not. (laughs) (laughs) This is episode seven of Media Unplugged, the podcast that goes behind the spin to reveal what's really happening in media. Media Unplugged with Tom A. Sacker and Mark Ramsey. A big welcome to Media Unplugged. I'm Mark Ramsey. And I'm Tom Asacker. Tom, it's the battle between Taylor Swift and Spotify, and the winner is dot, dot, dot. Who is the winner? This comes from a couple of articles, the first of which from Mashable from uh, a week or so ago. And the, uh, the title is, Taylor Swift removes all music from Spotify after 1989 bickering. Let me explain what this is, and you can kind of give me your take on this. 1989, of course. The title of Taylor Swift's new album, which knocked it out of the park when it debuted on the charts to record numbers. In fact, the biggest debut week sales of any album since 2002, which is remarkable. Um, Now, so what happened? Well, um, Taylor Swift, along with a number of other artists, has recently been following a pattern called windowing, where they may not allow their newest release to hit Spotify and other platforms until it's been out for a while, but they'll allow their archive to be out there and and fuel the appetite for their content. So Taylor decided, Taylor's uh, label, Big Machine, decided to uh, not to uh, release uh, her new album to Spotify to hold it back. And Spotify, I guess, had a little comment that they tweeted out saying, gosh, we really wish, you know, that uh, Taylor wouldn't withhold her content from her fans. Um, anyway, <laughs> the, the suggestion on the part of Mashable is that Big Machine and Taylor Swift took offense at this and as a result pulled the whole archive off Spotify. And now here you have Spotify with no Taylor Swift content at all. Um, now, you know and I know that that's not what's going on here. Do you want to provide a take on this? Well, yeah, listen, I don't think <laughs> I don't think somebody read a tweet and, and made a business decision based on <laughs> based on that. Listen, think about this. I mean, I read that a fifth of all records sold in America are, tw- are Taylor Swift's records. Wow. So, so think about this now. So, if you're an artist, right? Or or why would any artist or any brand really release its hot new product through a potentially lower revenue producing distribution platform. If, now this is the big if, if they have a huge loyal fan base that's clamoring for the release. I, it seems to be a business decision to me, or I might be missing something. Well, uh, of course, as ever, you're missing nothing. I think the reason why any other artist would... Um, would put their newest content out on Spotify, not hold it back, is because Taylor Swift is a market of one. There are exactly one artist of the magnitude of Taylor Swift right now, and the fact that she can uh, produce that kind of sales for her new album uh, in one week, you know, compared to, what, 2002, we got to go back that far? That is uncanny, unbelievable, and unprecedented since 2002. And the thing I need to point out is that that week's sales was the week before she uh, pulled the rest of her content from uh, Spotify. So this is not, her sales are not a function of the content being off Spotify because the content had already been on Spotify except for the new album. Um, it was it was prior to the actual week where, uh, where the action was taken. Yeah, look, it's interesting. You know, when you talk about music, people get all the passion start flowing, you know? And, and it's like people forgot that for the original iPhone, what did Steve Jobs do? 
He negotiated a deal with AT&T Mobility. They were what, singular. Mm -hmm. They were called singular at the time. And what did he get with this exclusive deal? He got $150 million in upfront development fees. Plus, he got a percentage of AT&T Mobility's monthly service revenue Mm. in exchange for four years of exclusivity in the United States. So all these people play this game. I mean, scarcity creates you know, profits. And, and it also creates controversy and controversy creates attention and attention drives sales. Well, you're bringing up an interesting point. And the point is the answer to my question, which is in the battle between Taylor Swift and Spotify, who is the winner? I just had someone on the phone with me earlier today who said, wow, Taylor's really taking Spotify for a walk here. And I said, wait a minute. I think actually Taylor Swift and Spotify are both winners. Because no one's ever talked about Spotify this much. It, it, I can't remember the last time they've talked about Spotify this much. <laughs> and given the fact that 99.99% of the artists and the content on Spotify is not ever going to be Taylor Swift, this is great publicity for Spotify and a great reminder of why it creates a value proposition that people value. I think this is a little game between Taylor Swift and Spotify that ultimately they will both profit from enormously. Yeah, I don't know. I, listen, the only loser I can see in this is uh, the 10 million paying subscribers to Spotify who expected to hear her music and now they're not getting it. Right. You know, so I don't know if they're going to leave Spotify now. If they do, then Spotify loses. Well, of course, if they leave Spotify, where are they going to go? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing to me that people are getting angry, that, that Swifties are getting angry at Spotify here because Spotify presumably is not paying enough uh, to the artists, even though they're paying 70% of their revenue to the music industrial complex that includes the labels and the artists, etc. People are getting mad at Spotify which is ironic because Spotify is the one giving you the content you want. It's the middlemen you should be angry at. It's Taylor's label big machine that's, you know, coordinating uh, this whole arrangement. They're the ones that pulled the archive out. By the way, you know, you would think that the, 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 the calculated nature of this decision, um, the presence of the arc, the archive is going to sell better when there's a hot new album in the store than when there's not a hot new album in the store. So by pulling the archive off with the new content, they actually maximize revenue over the short run. That's a, if you've got an artist like Taylor Taylor Swift. Now, the other thing that people don't talk about is supposedly Big Machine, her label, is putting itself up for sale. Now, I don't need to tell you the consequence <laughs> of maximizing revenue for an artist like Taylor Swift when the label that uh, employs her is putting itself up for sale. Exactly. Look, the truth, Mark, is that we really don't know exactly why the albums were pulled. We will know in the future, but we don't know. I mean, her other albums are still available on Apple's Beats music service, right? And we know Apple is working to try to secure exclusive deals with artists. Yes. So who knows? Maybe there's some negotiate negotiation thing, game going on with Apple. I have no idea. There could well be. I do think uh, Spotify made one mistake. They... I think they put too much uh, spotlight on this when they created a playlist available right on the homepage of the site called While Taylor's Gone. <laughs> I think that's <laughs> rubbing in the wrong message at the wrong time. The other thing I want to mention, and then we'll, we'll talk about the other article related to this, I had some back and forth with uh, Saul Kaplan, uh, the author of Business Model Innovation Factory, a very smart guy, and his argument was that, well, you know, look, if the artists aren't making money, 
then they're going to stop making music. And I said, oh, contraire, Saul, you are completely wrong. Exactly. The tools to make music are more readily available than ever. The accessibility of an audience more readily available than ever. The means of distributing content, creating that content, um, blowing that content up, sharing that content more readily available than ever. Those are not obstacles. The lack of a revenue model is not an obstacle to the presence of music on digital platforms. That's right, exactly. The other thing I just feel obligated to say is this move by Big Machine and Taylor Swift is uh, a huge gift uh, to uh, online piracy, at least in the short run. Um, to be sure, as Daniel Eck, the head of Spotify, has argued, you know, one look at the Pirate Bay and you'll see that the number one piece of content there for download is, of course, guess what? Taylor Swift's album, 1989. Well, there you go. <laughs> On the other hand, I would certainly argue, I think Daniel's being a little too uh, clever here because I would also argue that that would be the number one piece of content on Pirate Bay regardless of whether or not they're Spotify. Right. But given that that's true, isn't it more rational for Spotify to be monetizing your content as well and at least giving you, Taylor Swift, some money from it? Well, that's their argument, isn't it? That is their argument. That brings us to our other note here, our, our other uh, piece on this topic. is from Business Insider. It's called Spotify to Taylor Swift. Would you rather have six million or zilch? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's uh, what, Where's the zilch? I mean, I think she's going to be selling way more than that in albums. Well, so. that's the issue, right? I mean, it's six. <laughs> but, it, you know, Daniel Eck, the head of Spotify, his argument is, of course, that, you know, Spotify is one of the things that legitimizes online music. It provides people a path to get it. Uh, the way they want to get it, in a manner that they will pay for it or in a manner that advertisers will pay for it. And yes, while um, not being available on Spotify means you're more likely to get it through iTunes or through, you know, uh, Walmart or whatever, it's also true that you're more likely to get it through Pirate Bay. That's the the argument that he's making. And he, he says statistically, not even statistically, but at our, at our current size, payouts for a top artist like Taylor Smith before she pulled her catalog, Taylor Swift, sorry, before she pulled her catalog, are on track to exceed $6 million a year, and that's only growing. We expect that number to double again in a year. You know, they just don't have the clout like an Amazon has over authors. I think that, that, that they're trying to talk like they have that game. But nothing's going to stop these kids from going to Target and picking up the album if they want to hear her music tomorrow. They're right. going to go there today. But again... The challenge is that, that 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 reflects one artist and that artist has very few peers. That's the point, right? Oh, this exactly. This is a this is a, a it's like a blockbuster film, right? It's it's the same type of thing. They have the same release windows that these artists are using. Right right we talked about this in one of our shows. We did talk about yeah. it. So yeah. So it's it's all about how do I make the most money that I can? as soon as I release what's new and it's hot. And when we talked about that, we talked about the solution to that problem being that the release windows, when they overlap each other, they need to have a different uh, revenue stratification, right? Mm -hmm. So in other words, it costs more to get Taylor's stuff sooner. That's the solution to this problem. For the label, the artist, and the platform, like a Spotify, to say, you can have Taylor infused into your mix, but it's going to cost you something. And then everybody's happy at the end of the day, right? Yeah, or include something. I mean, put make some little add-on to, to, to what they buy at retail, you know, something that her fans want because they all want, you know, a piece of it. 
you know, they want a piece of that fame. They want to hold it in their hands. And indeed, that's what they actually have. Uh, they have those kind of collectibles are what you're referring to. They're actually in the CD. Exactly. They're, they're part of the package you, you can buy over the counter right now. Yeah, listen, she's, she's doing exactly what Seth Godin has been telling everyone to do for years, right? Build a tribe online, mm-hmm. create and ship great art, and communicate endlessly with these people to keep them engaged and make them feel special. And then you get to control the sales and distribution arrangements. That's right, because ultimately, uh, Taylor Swift is a living, breathing, human being person that you can be a fan of. Spotify is just a platform. Exactly. So where are your sympathies going to go? I mean, Spotify, uh, in this Business Insider piece, Spotify has paid more than $2 billion to labels and other entities that then distribute a cut to the artist. And Spotify's Daniel Eck also blamed, uh, seemed to shift the blame to the record labels for not paying enough uh, to artists, not paying them a big enough cut of the money. Surprise, surprise. We haven't heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Mark. It's just controversy to, to, to increase increase attention, like you said earlier, and awareness. And, and in the end, everybody's going to make out fine on this. Yes, right? I suspect so. And I think, uh, I think Spotify will be better off for the controversy. One last point, and then I'll leave this behind. Um, Eck discusses something that very few people understand in his, uh, his, his post that he made on Spotify's site, and that is what we mean by a stream. Because if you look at the Mashable piece, they'll talk about the fraction of uh, pennies that, uh, that, was, that are distributed uh, per stream, right. uh, per listen. I think here's the stat. Spotify pays artists and rights holders of each song between $0.006 and $0.0084. Those are very small dollars. Oh, very specific, too. Yeah, per stream. Eight four. <laughs> yeah, I know. Per stream, depending on how many paid users the service has, which country it's streaming the song and the currency values in each country. So what Ek goes on to explain is that, look, let's understand what a stream is, okay? A single stream or listen is one person playing one song one time. Okay, so for example, if a song has been listened to 500,000 times on Spotify, that's the same as it having been played one time on a U.S. radio station with a moderate-sized audience of 500,000 people. One time. Hmm. (laughs) So, I mean, when you put it in that context, it's really astonishing. And I'm going to leave aside the fact that uh, Daniel may not know this, but any radio station that has a one-time audience of 500,000 people, that's a lot more than moderately sized, I'm here to tell you. Exactly. <laughs> All right, you are listening to Media Unplugged with Tom Asacker and Mark Ramsey. Topic number two, Honey Boo Boo comes to the podcast. We really, oh, we really have to do this, huh? <laughs> this is awesome. I love this topic. I totally railroaded you into this topic. Is the oh, fall of Honey man. Boo Boo the death knell of trash reality TV? Now, you know this story, Tom. You could tell this as well as I, but... It turns out, surprisingly, ratings for trash reality TV are down. We're talking about, well, Jersey Shore is basically gone, but Teen Mom, Hoarders, Here Comes Honey Boo Boo, Duck Dynasty, they're all losing viewers. And Uh-oh. In, yeah, I know. <laughs> and in fact, uh, from an article in uh, The Wrap, um, TLC's recent bout with Here Comes Honey Boo Boo is a timely example. Viewers tuned in to this Toddlers and Tiaras spinoff to watch how the other half lives and discover that they talk about one another's, one another's flatulence, <laughs> rarely eat unprocessed foods, and are okay with a missing tooth or five. <laughs> their, general, their general lifestyle is characterized by what would 
what most would consider ignorance or bad behavior. So why is anyone surprised the family matriarch June Shannon, a.k.a. Mama June, would decide to date someone who was convicted of molesting a young relative of hers? Hence, the bloom is off the trash reality rose. Yes? We can only pray, but (laughs) I don't... I don't think so. I think people were just tired of maybe watching that particular car crash. That's all. I mean, here's the funny thing. If you really want to talk about what's funny about this. I mean, so this is a show that was a success for TLC, right? Right. Now, what's that an abbreviation for? That It's an abbreviation for their former ironic name, the Learning Channel. Yes, so I guess more people would rather watch these, you know, car crashes than learn about, well, I don't know, just about anything. <laughs> I'm just hoping that the evolution of TLC is not indicative of the evolution of media in general. I mean, this the Learning Channel was started in the 70s by the Department <laughs> of Health, Education, and Welfare <laughs> and NASA as a place for learning minds. And what did it evolve to? Honey boo boo. I mean, what is going on with us, right? You're saying this is the wrong kind of learning. I think that's what you're arguing, right? <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, if, maybe it's not because if you think about it, maybe there wasn't a better place for people to go who wanted to learn about some of our country's most pressing concerns, right? Like the economy and unemployment and, I don't know, dental hygiene, whatever. Maybe that 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 kind of entertaining way of educating us is, is actually beneficial. Well, I, I think that's a really good point, and I didn't even know some of that history. I knew it had been called the Learning Channel, but I certainly didn't know its origin story, if you will. But I think you're, you're fundamentally right. I mean, I, look, they're making a general statement about this category of programming. What they're ignoring is the fact that most of these shows are roughly of the same vintage. They're roughly of the same age. And every show that succeeds has an arc. That's right. And the arc eventually veers downward, hence the term jump the shark. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Right? right. I mean, I will tell you, as someone who used to be a fan of uh, True Blood uh, when it was relatively new, I mean, the last episode of True Blood was a mercy killing in more ways than one. I mean, all these shows have an arc, and eventually it's time for them to go. And what I found funny, now here's some research that I did that will surprise you. You know, they talk about being, you know, this trend being at an end because of the nature of the the content and the culture changing. They say at the end of the article, the culture no longer wants to watch TV shows about people exhibiting bad taste, bad behavior, and creating problems. They want solutions, and networks are starting to give them what they want. Well, let's go back in the time clock to 2009. There was a show on VH1 called Megan Wants a Millionaire. (laughs) And this show was canceled after, I think, about three episodes because one of the stars, one of the suitors for Megan on this show, a man named, let's see, Ryan Jenkins, was found dead in a Canadian hotel room. (laughs) This was a few days after Ryan was accused of murdering his girlfriend, mutilating her body, stuffing her in a suitcase, and sticking it in a trash bin. Jesus 2009, Tom. So just now culture is waking up? I'm not so sure about that. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think One so. last point I want to make about this article, though, is there's a, there's a quotation, speaking of VH1, from VH1's vice president of original programming, Susan Levinson, about their, their uh, naked dating show. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Listen to this. You're going to love this. 
The nudity was really a storytelling device that was about something, the search for true love. <laughs> that sound right to you? Is that what it was about? I missed that. I love that. Yeah, That's I a know. great, great line. <laughs> All right, it's time for rants and raves. Tom, what do you have for us today? Well, Mark, before I, I let you go on the honey boo-boo, I want to tell you who I think's going to be most upset about that show being canceled. Who's that? And that's, that's PepsiCo, because I read that they're testing Dorito-flavored Mountain Dew. So they, they lost a vehicle to reach <laughs> one of their biggest audiences there. Okay, so, I'm, so, I, so guess what? I'm ranting. <laughs> I think that's my brand, so, so there's no surprise. That's there. all right. I'm with you this week. Go ahead. All right. But there was a surprise recently on election night on CNN. Did you hear about it? Uh, yes. Yes. Go ahead, though. All right. So the election coverage experts were given Microsoft Surface Pro 3 <laughs> tablets to use on air during the broadcast. Now, you, you know that's called product <laughs> placement. Yes. But, and this is pretty funny, really, those experts were caught on camera using their iPads, which they tried to hide behind the Microsoft <laughs> tablets. Now, listen, here's the thing that, that's funny to me. I mean, on its own, that's hilarious, <laughs> you know, and it deserves a rant. But here's what's got me thinking a little bit, right? So what that snafu did, if you were paying attention, mm -hmm. was it exposed the instrumental money-driven mission of mass media, mm -hmm. even objective analysis of something like election news. Mm -hmm. And yet, those same journalists, that same mass media, they're up in arms against new media native advertising, mm -hmm. you know, like on BuzzFeed. Ah, yes. Right? So, all, you know, you'll find all kinds of paid brand-sponsored content that's camouflaged to look like news. Right? Native advertising, mass media has called that a betrayal of readers' trust, a parasite, you know, all kinds of things. <laughs> but here's the thing. Anyone with half a brain can tease out the ads from the non-ads, Right? The disguise yeah. isn't really that clever, this native advertising. But when you're looking at product placement, mm -hmm. that's doing precisely the same thing. Right, They're trying to send brand messages and endorsements mm -hmm. and camouflage it as reality, but it's hidden so well, none of us really can tell the difference. So to me, that's much more deceptive, <laughs> and I'm glad they got caught. <laughs> Did they ever respond to that, by the way? I didn't hear any response. I didn't either. I think it's they just wanted how, to go away, right? Yeah, it's funny how those kinds of things manage to go away. Exactly. That, what a great story. Okay, I have a rant too. I'm back in fine form this week, and I'm here with a rant. And this one goes back to the Taylor Swift story um, by way of a, uh, a tweet. And it was a tweet from Roseanne Cash, you know, the country artist Roseanne Cash, who decided yep. that she wanted to get into the mix here. Here's a quote from her. This isn't the tweet. This is just the quote. She said, I asked my song publisher to send me my Spotify earnings from the past few years. I knew it was going to be bad, but it was devastating, Cash said. <laughs> it was hundreds of thousands of streams. Now, remember what a stream is, right. right? Hundreds of thousands of single listens to single songs. And I received a little more than $200. It was not only bad because it's harder to make a living. I have to go on the road more often. I have a teenager at home. That's really hard. I hate leaving him. <laughs> so <laughs> I, thought, I thought, you know what? I can be sympathetic to an awful lot of artists, but uh, not so sympathetic to the number one daughter of the legendary Johnny Cash, someone who can probably <laughs> sit at home with her teenage son and collect licensing revenues until the end of time and, you know, keep macaroni and cheese on the table just fine. <laughs> Thank you very much. 
So to you, Roseanne Cash, I say get used to it. Uh, enjoy your touring. Stay at home and collect your, uh, your money from dad. And uh, recognize that a stream is one listen to one song one time. That is my rant. Yeah, poor Roseanne. Poor Roseanne. <laughs> you say poor Roseanne. That's Media Unplugged for this week. Please remember to subscribe to us at iTunes or on Stitcher or now at Podcast One. And while you're there, please rate the show. It helps other folks discover us. And if you rate us really well, you know, we'll call you at home. <laughs> you can follow Tom on Twitter at Tom Asacker and Mark at Mark Ramsey Media. Send us your questions and comments using hashtag Media Unplugged. If there's a media topic you want us to cover, tweet us. You can read the show notes and share the show at our website, MediaUnplugged.net. Special thanks to the producer of Media Unplugged, Jeff Schmidt, exciting audio for media. You can find him at Jeff-Schmidt.com for the fabulous Amazing Tom Asacker. I'm Mark Ramsey. Thanks for listening.